After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple, and they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, and he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloths, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. You may be seated. Usually on a Sunday morning, we try to find a guest and ask them to lead us in prayer. That's a joke, so all of you guests feel perfectly. (laughs) But really, from time to time, we have some special guests who come. And this morning, I have one of my sons with me. We're getting ready to send my son Josh and his wife Amy and Levi Reese and Cal and Jordan to Colorado. And he will be a family pastor uh, at Storyline Church in Arveda, Arvada, Colorado. Did I say that right? Close. So uh, we, we have sought to be a sending church. God is, I think, helping us to grow. And one of the things he had to do first was work on the pastor. Are you willing to send some of your own family? And so this morning, I, I'm, I, I typically ask someone who's special to pray for us, and I'm going to do that today. But I'm going to ask you, as, as the Lord brings my son and his family to your mind, if you would pray for them as they make this transition over these next weeks. But Josh, I'm going to ask you, if you would, to pray for our church family, all who are gathered here this morning, that God would speak to us, work in our lives, draw us close to him through his word today. Father, this church family is special because they believe the gospel message. You have chosen them. Um, you have made them a royal priesthood of believers. And uh, the message that rings out from their hearts and from their minds is that um, though our sin is great, your mercy is even greater. Um, your mercy is more, Father. We believe that together as followers and disciples of you across this planet. We affirm that message that has been preached for 2,000 years that you were dead, you were buried, and that you were raised again. And I pray that that gospel message would ring true in their minds, that they would preach it to themselves, not just today, but that the Lawndale Church family 
would live by that message um, every day um, and that their lives would be reflective of that in the way they, they love, they forgive, they serve, and the way that they send. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you, Josh. Sometimes people say Josh kind of looks like me. Um, about 30, 40 pounds later, maybe uh, there'll be a little bit more resemblance there. Followers of Christ claim Jesus is the king. If you're a follower of Christ, that's basically what you're saying. You're saying he's the Lord, he's king, he's master, he's boss, I've surrendered my life to him. It's why we follow him, it's why we obey him, it's why we love him. We believe he's a benevolent king, he is a good king, he knows all things, and he knows what is good for us. As much as happens in your life from day to day and that you don't know why it happens, God knows everything and why it happens. He is a good king. And even those bad things that happen in your life, this good king has the power to bring good out of even some of the worst things that a person could imagine or ever experience. I think it's an important question for us this morning. Is Jesus the king or not? Basically, that's what we're asking. Jesus asked a similar kind of question a couple of times during his ministry. Who do you say that I am? And if we do indeed believe that Jesus is the king, it changes everything. Not everyone is a follower of Christ. Not everyone is submitted to the kingship of Christ. They're the true followers who love him and who enjoy knowing him and gladly obey him and follow him. Good days and bad days, the spiritual highs and the spiritual lows, they are what we would call true followers. There are those who are fake followers, I would say, who instead of really following Christ, They might say, I'm a Christian. They might say, I I am a follower of Christ or I attend even a church, but yet there's no fruit of that. They're, They're fake followers. They may say it, but they don't really live it. They're those who may be future followers. They, they know about him, and one day they want to follow him, but right now they've said they're not ready to follow him. And then there are those who are never followers, who will allow their hearts to grow hard, and even though God makes himself known even in the creation, even through a, a book like the Bible, people will constantly say no and put him out of their minds, out of their thoughts, and their hearts grow hard to a point when they no longer even sense God moving them and drawing them. So I'm asking you this morning a pretty important question, I think. Is Jesus the king or not? John's intention when he wrote this gospel was to encourage his followers or to encourage his readers To believe that Jesus is the Christ. He is the Son of God. He is the one who was prophesied in the line of David. He would be the eternal king. He would be the perfect king. He would be a sacrificial king. Jesus is the king and John is writing that. And at the close of John's gospel, 
the account of his death, the account of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection makes an open and closed case for the fact that Jesus is the king. Let's think again about his sacrificial death. In verse 38, the sacrificial death of the king, chapter 39, verse 38, after these things, now, these things are very significant. I don't know if there's any reference to these things that are more substantive than what these things represent here in this text. It's, it's now saying all of these things that we've walked through when you think about the betrayal of Jesus and the arrest of Jesus and the crucifixion of Jesus, after these things, there, there's a lot that's happened there. Now, when you read through the Old Testament, you find over 300 direct prophecies about the Christ. This is who he, who he will be. This is where he'll be born. This is what his life will be like. This is how he'll die. I mean, substantive details that are given over 300 and the likelihood of those being fulfilled are astronomical. It's unbelievable. But in regards to his death, at least 29 specific prophecies are given. The very fact that not one bone would be broken. The very fact that they would look on him whom they had pierced. The very fact that he would come as a lamb of God and suffer for the sins of the world. I mean, we can just go through and a couple of them John has just mentioned back in verse 33. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. See, normally they would. But it was prophesied in the book of Psalms that this one, his legs would not be broken. And in some ways it's a minor detail, but in other ways it's, it's huge because it continues to point out the prophecies around his death. This sacrificial death, it was talked about hundreds of years before it ever happened. And then you look a little further down in verse 33. But, uh, verse 34, but when one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. Now, we know that probably means that his heart had exploded. It was broken, whether out of love or under the pressure that was placed upon him through this whole ordeal. But nonetheless, he was pierced. Now, most people thinking about a king that was coming, and if you were talking about a king that was coming in a few hundred years, you would most likely talk about this powerful military leader who would come in and conquer the world. But that's not the plan of God. From the beginning, God had in mind one who would come and give his life because sin had to be atoned for. We sang the song this morning, Our Sins Are Many. And unless you can come to grips with the fact that your sins are many, you will probably never become a follower of Christ. We say sometimes before you can be saved, saved from your sin, you have to know that you're lost and we have to come to terms with the fact that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And so from the beginning, even with Adam and Eve, there were animal sacrifices because there had to be blood, life that was given for life. And, and so there were intricate details in 
uh, Exodus and Leviticus of how these animals had to be offered. And they were the best. They were the first fruits. They were without blemish and without spot. All foreshadowing one who would need to be perfect to qualify for the kind of sacrifice and offering that we would need to pay the price for our sin. It's easy sometimes when we're comparing, well, I'm not as bad as this guy, or I'm not as bad as this woman, I'm not as bad as so-and-so. But the fact is, we're all sinners, and we're all without hope, and headed for the place called hell. We're in darkness apart from Christ, and apart from the payment that was made for us. And all these prophecies were being fulfilled right around his death, and John is trying to say, don't you see, he's the king? Look back, read through the Psalms and read through Isaiah and read through back even in Genesis and see this is the one that was foretold would come. And he's dying just like the scripture said that he would die. His clothes would be gambled away. He would be thirsty. He would be sold for 30 pieces of silver. He would be buried among the rich. All of these just right here in front of us as we think about, is he really the king or not? Now, think about the people around his death. Not only these prophecies that are being fulfilled, but the very people who are, are around him at this, at this time. Now, when he was on the cross, John doesn't give us this bit of information, but Matthew does. There's a centurion soldier who watches Jesus die on the cross. And the centurion said, the soldier said, surely this is the son of God. Just watching the manner in which he died and the words he spoke from the cross. But here are two other men in John's account, Joseph of Arimathea, who uh, is a part of the Sanhedrin, the religious leaders. And of course, Nicodemus, who's, who's a Pharisee, a part of that religious group as well. And both of these are men of means and Neither one of them had really become public followers of Christ. Joseph was afraid of what others might think of him. And Nicodemus was afraid of what it might cost him to follow Christ. And here you have two men, it seems as if they throw caution to the wind. They die to themselves and do something so courageous that the people around them had to say, are these guys crazy? I can't hardly imagine this rich man, Joseph, taking the body of Jesus off this cross. He went and asked for permission first, which took courage. And others who might would have looked at that and saw that. And then to actually take his hands away from the nails, his feet, just the, the blood and the mess that was beyond human recognition, it wouldn't have been an easy task, not only publicly, but also even in his own heart privately. And I I think about Nicodemus carrying this heavy load, 75 pounds of myrrh and aloes, and here they are, they're coming, and they're trying to at least get his body ready before the sun goes down, before the Sabbath starts, because they knew that no work would be permitted on on the Sabbath, on that Saturday. So they 
prepare his body, but here are people who are around his death. There were people at the cross who were there. The soldier, uh, his mom Mary, others. And then we see these two men. It appears that Jesus' death has changed their lives. Think about the preaching concerning his death. I, I know in some ways we talk about death. It's not the most encouraging message that we can hear. But this is a great encouragement to us. Because if we could come to de- terms with this sacrificial death. Then we ourselves have to say yes he is the king. And the early church in the book of Acts. When you hear them preaching. You don't hear a message that doesn't refer to the death of Christ. They're talking about uh, his, his actual giving up his spirit where as we usually think about ourselves being embodied spirits, we have a spirit who is really who we are in this body that encases it. One day this body is going to be laid aside and those who know Christ are going to go and be with him. And one day when he comes back, he's going to bring us with him and our bodies will be resurrected and reunited with our spirit. So for... Jesus here, we think about the church was preaching concerning his death. They said, this man really died. His heart stopped beating. His lungs stopped pumping. And this morning as we celebrate such a wonderful thing in the resurrection, let's not look past the death of Christ, the price that was paid, and that would be what I want you to take away from his sacrificial death, the payment through his death. Look over in Romans chapter 5 for just a second. Romans chapter, why did Jesus have to die? Jesus prayed before his death. He said, Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. But there had to be a payment, a payment from someone who was qualified of the line of David, of the lineage that would even have its roots back to Noah and Adam. One who would be a second Adam, who would be human and yet divine. And so in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, Paul wrote about Jesus' death in this way, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood. The only way to be made right with God is through the blood of Christ. There was no other way. He is the only way. God shows his love for us and that when we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. As horrendous as a picture as it was, Jesus hanging on the cross, and as as difficult and confused as many were as he lay in that tomb for three days, It was a price that was able to be paid for the debt that we owed. There's no way you could possibly pay the debt that you owe. It's it's far greater than you could ever pay. You, You have no means to do it. You could never be good enough. We're all sinners. And I would say to you this morning, Jesus' death is the only account with sufficient funds to pay the debt we owe for sin. If you've ever 
gone to pay for something and there was not sufficient funds, it's, it's a bad day, right? And if you stand before God hoping to get there on your good works, if you hope to draw from some kind of an account of church membership or maybe even baptism or some kind of good deeds, it's going to be a bad day. And it'll be a bad eternity because there's not sufficient funds apart from the death of Christ. That's the account that we draw from, this blood that flowed through Emmanuel's veins, that freely flowed and that is freely given that price, that payment for all who will receive him. The high price of his payment is evidence of the height of his holiness it took, it took a high price because God is holy and perfect. And that high price is evidence of the height of his holiness and the depth of his love. How would God ever go that low for us that he, the son, would take on human flesh and live his life perfectly but die so painfully? How would he take the form of a man and be obedient even to the point of death. What's the depth of his love? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And I would say to you this morning, it it is a king's ransom. When you think about the king's ransom, if a king had ever been kidnapped or taken away, there would be a huge price that would have to be paid. And we think of the huge price that was paid for Jesus. He was not kidnapped. He willingly laid down his hands when those nails were being nailed. He willingly stayed on that cross when at any moment he could have called for help and been taken down. He is God. He is the Son of God. And at his beck and call are the angels and his Father in heaven. And yet he was willing to pay this great ransom that we owed the sacrificial death of the king. Now, I'm so thankful that the story doesn't end there. In John, there's a chapter 20. In Jesus, there is a third day. The story would not be enough if it only ended with the cross. If we were just talking about Jesus' death, it would not be enough. Yes, he did finish the payment. He did make atonement. He did appease the wrath of God by his death. But the resurrection is what we're looking for as well here. Look with me again in verse 1 of chapter 20. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. This is the supernatural resurrection of the king that we're going to see here. Is he king or not? If he is king, and it certainly appears so as we look at his death, and now as we look at his resurrection, I think we're going to be able to say the same thing. He is the king from the resurrection it's, it's supernatural. And so we began to piece together the facts about the resurrection. Mary, who was there at the cross, she was there when they laid the body in the tomb. And she was the one who went back early Sunday morning along with some others who were looking to see what they could do to finish preparing Jesus' body for burial. She, she was coming without hope. She was coming 
as, as one who was finalizing a burial. But the stone had been rolled away. One person said, you've heard it before, the stone wasn't rolled away to let Jesus out. The stone was rolled away so that we could see that he was out. We, we needed evidence. We, we, wanted to, we needed to see the empty tomb, and there's no greater evidence of Jesus' resurrection than the empty tomb. And when, the, when Mary came, this stone had been rolled away so that she could see what actually happened. There, there are a lot of evidences as you read through this story and as you put together the gospel stories, there were appearances that Jesus made. Jesus makes an appearance here to Mary as you move into verses 11 and following. As a matter of fact, over 40 days, he appears to over 500 people. And he appears to his disciples. These appearances are evidences of a supernatural re- resurrection. Here's a man that, that physically died, and now he's being physically seen. His body was laid in the tomb, and now his body has been miraculously raised from the dead. And he's no longer a disembodied spirit. He is that body now as the God-man and an eternal body that's one like we will receive if we follow him and at the time of our resurrection. There, there was the death of the witnesses. You see, they were so bold that they had not only saw his death and now they were seeing his resurrection that they were willing to die for that message. They were preaching it and people were killing them because they didn't want to hear it. There was the conviction and there was a persecution and they were willing to go to the death for this message that they believed. There was the conversion of Paul, a man who was very much opposed to all that Jesus stood for And the very fact that he was converted shows us the reality of Jesus' resurrection. We see the Lord's Day, how many people had worshipped on a Saturday, Sabbath, and now they're worshiping on a Sunday, the Lord's Day. So we, we put together all of these things and many more facts and say there there was a resurrection. And if there was no resurrection, Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain. We, we might as well not be meeting together. As a matter of fact, you, if the resurrection didn't happen, you might as well not come back next Sunday. You, you might as well throw in the towel. You might as well throw this book away. This book hinges on the fact that Jesus was raised from the dead. And there have been many who have attempted to disprove that. Some of the stories are amazing how very intelligent young man named Josh McDowell who set out to disprove, if he could just disprove the resurrection, you'd throw the book out, you'd throw the churches away and he'd be done. And the more he studied and he looked at the facts, it was undeniable. He gave his life to Christ and became a follower and God's used uh, wonderfully over these years. Story after story of those when they actually look at the facts and God changes their lives because when you look at the facts, it grows your faith. There's faith because of the resurrection. We can place our faith in Jesus that he is the king. That's our way of salvation, Romans 10, 9. If you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Do you want to be saved from your sin? Do you want to be saved 
uh, to an abundant life of walking with God and knowing Him and enjoying Him and glorifying Him. You want to be saved from darkness to light. You want to be saved from an eternity in the place we call hell to an eternity to the place we call heaven. It's only through Christ. It's the faith that He gives as we look at the resurrection. Another thing Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 about this resurrection and the faith that we have. This, 1 Corinthians 15, we call it the resurrection chapter. Listen as I read part of this, beginning in verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you're being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. So you see this gospel that Paul was preaching, that churches were spreading across the earth, over the continents, because of this gospel message. It was his death, his burial, and his resurrection. God grows people's faith when they come to terms with the fact that Jesus did rise from the dead. And it changes people. The fruit of the resurrection. In Romans chapter 6, as Paul is making a case for the gospel, it's almost, it's like an exposition of the gospel from Romans 1 to chapter 16. And when you get to chapter 6, he's talking about the difference that the resurrection makes in our lives in verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? That's the spiritual baptism that happens in people's hearts. We die to ourself and now we're living in Christ. Verse 4, we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Just as Jesus came out of that tomb, we as believers were called out of our deadness. We're called out of the tomb of sin. We're called out of the tomb of lostness. And God calls us to walk in the newness of life now. You see, we, we, we all died with Adam. God told him, the day you eat that fruit, Adam, you will die. And he ate it. And it was a spiritual death. It was a, a disconnect with God. And those who began to look forward to Christ coming, the king who would deliver them, they, they had faith in him, and, and, and that's the Old Testament. And those who now have seen his coming, those of us who observe it in the Gospels and read it and meditate on it and study on it, now we've been saved by him, restored, given life, although we had death. Given a relationship with God, although we deserved punishment from God. And the fruit of the resurrection is that it changes us. You can't help but to think about what he's done for you. He died for your sins and he rose from the dead. Jesus' death is the payment for sin. 
His resurrection is the power over sin. Jesus gives freedom from your past in his death and freedom for your present in his resurrection. He is the sovereign king. He is in charge of all things. You say, well, how could I ever be saved? Look what I've done. That's the magnitude of Jesus' payment. It's sufficient for all accounts. It's the one account that's sufficient for every person that would come to him. He will, he will cast no one out who comes to him. He says, whosoever will, let him come. And this morning, you might be a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, and you realize, I'm not really a true follower. I've, I've not placed my faith in his death and his resurrection. He's not really my Lord. And usually, if he's not your Lord, do you know who he is? It's, it's yourself. And there's a moment at which you die to yourself so that you can really live. And that's what the power of the gospel does. Jesus died for you so that you could really live. You die to yourself and you surrender to his lordship. He is my king. And when you began to follow him, you gladly follow him because he's given you something far greater than you could ever imagine. We've talked about some kinds of followers. There is also the new follower. And that's someone who, in that moment, in this moment, says, you know, I understand the gospel. I know I'm a sinner. I believe Jesus died for my sins, and I want to give my life to him. I believe he rose from the dead, and not only has, uh, has, has he paid the price, but now he offers the power to live for him. You could not live for him until you died to yourself. You could not live for him until you received what he had done for you. And today you have that opportunity. You could be a new follower today. There, there may be others who are followers, genuine, true followers, but you've drifted. And today could be the day that you renew your faith in him. You see, this gospel story never gets old. We preach it to ourselves. We read it. We think about it. We meditate on it. Is he king or not? We'll have pastors who are here at the altar this morning. If you'd like to talk with someone further about a relationship with God, the altar will be open even as we get ready to sing. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this gospel that saves. Forgive us for the time in our lives that we've trusted ourselves and thought we could possibly be good enough. Forgive us at times when we've grown cold and we've wondered and we prayed this morning that you would draw those who don't know you right now. Let them be confirmed and affirmed in their hearts right now of your love for them. And I pray, Lord, that you'll walk, walk, work in all of us to draw us closer to yourself. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand with us.